0: Alan.
1: Welcome, welcome to another A.B. testing recording. Thank you for joining me.
0: You're welcome.
1: We're doing a podcast, and it is number, <laughs> what number are we? 63. 63, that's not a prime number. When's our next prime number? 67? So hey, far. How you doing? I'm tired. Why are you tired?
0: Well, we're... are partying? We're, no. We're, uh... Didn't get the sleep I needed last night, I guess. Uh, and coffee's not working.
1: Sorry about that. Sorry about that. So after after our recording last time, uh, random things to talk about. After we recorded last time, um, I know I'm still in maybe honeymoon period. How long does honeymoon period last in a new job? When am I out of the honeymoon? When you when you When have... I hate it and want to leave? No, that's <laughs> way
0: past. Yeah, okay. That's the divorce stage. Yeah, okay. When you finally have your
1: first real complaint. Huh. Okay. So I'm still in the honeymoon phase. But Brent mentioned after the last episode, we had stopped recording, he said, you look happier than you have in a long time or ever. Even better, I have to, um, not that this is going to be a direct dig on Microsoft, but I had a doctor appointment, my just physical, last week. Had the big, the full, like, seven vials of blood drawn and follow up a few weeks later. And in my doctor's words, my blood is perfect, which is good. But the better thing is... Are, are you typo? i I'm a, a
0: positive. I am A plus two. too. Nice. To, do you want to share
1: some blood? Uh, maybe. Good to know <laughs> that your blood's
0: perfect. But you know what's cool? <laughs> Mine's
1: not. <laughs> is uh for the... As long as I can remember, I mean... Growing up and even into my twenties and thirties, my blood pressure one twenty over seventy, like clockwork. It started drifting up as it got older and seemed just like an older thing. Like and it was as high as like one thirty eight over eighty, I think, uh, which isn't like massively high, but higher. Um, but You're able to decompose the blood pressure algorithm. Yeah,
0: it's it's to me. I've I've always it's lowers better. Lower is better, yes. Uh, but if if one number is lower and the other
1: one's way through the roof, what does that mean? I don't know. I don't know physiologically, but one's like when the the, the number where you they squeeze your arm till you can't feel the pulse anymore, and the numbers are the first moment they can feel they can detect it, and then when they can't detect it anymore.
0: Yeah, I think it's the measure of your pressure in your veins yeah. when your heart's beating and when it's not beating.
1: Sure, sure. Yep. But mine had been drifting up, and it had been definitely in the upper 130s for the last 10 years. Last week, after almost six months at Unity, maybe coincidental, maybe not, uh, 120 over 70. Back to where I was. So you found <laughs> your inner calm. <laughs> I found some – well, it helps not having your manager, for example, call you at 9 o'clock on a Friday and question your decisions from the day. Yeah. (laughs) I, too. uh, It was interesting. So when did you go in for your physical? Uh, The actual appointment was last Tuesday. Oh.
0: I, for the first time in five years, went for my quote-unquote annual uh, physical uh, last Friday. And uh, I don't have – so I have the blood test scheduled this week. But that was fantastic. Uh, first and foremost, I changed doctors this time around. We have a, we have, Microsoft has its own little clinic.
1: Oh, you yeah, uh, went to the clinic over in the building where I used to work. In building 22. Yeah. It, and. When I was in engineering excellence, the more, where we did neither. <laughs> the more
0: I interact with those guys, the better. Uh, this is the first time where I had a doctor that is uh, younger than me. And. Um, I actually found that to be quite cool cuz the one of the things is cuz they they didn't use leeches on
1: you. Yeah.
0: That's, <laughs> in essence that's you used the modern thing. medicine. The and I I realized this I'm like, "Huh, this So I've been I've been with this the prior doctor, I don't know, 20 years. Wow. And he's um I like the fact of going to a younger doctor because they're they more up to speed. Yeah, absolutely. Like 10 years from
1: now, I'll probably switch again. Maybe even more often. But yeah, yeah. that is one thing I've heard a lot is that uh, younger doctors, I wonder if that's true from younger testers, probably not. Um, this- if, if they taught testing
0: in college, that might be true. <laughs> right. Younger coders probably are going to be better than current ones.
1: Maybe. Hey, speaking of testing, yeah. Uh, have you read the uh, software testing article on Wikipedia? No. Uh, you want to get have a, a frustrating fifteen minutes of your life? <laughs> sure. So, uh, a, a peeve of mine for a while has been the software testing Wikipedia page.
0: Oh wait, wait. wait. I have read that, but that like uh, you're talking about like the it is what is software testing? It is
1: poorly cited uh full uh it's just written in
0: written in the uh, time period in which yeah, it was relevant
1: highlighting techniques from the 19 no before it was relevant <laughs> i think
0: uh i don't think wikipedia was along
1: and then Noah Sussman, who's awesome uh went in maybe 4 5 maybe 6 months ago it was a while back maybe 3 months i don't know time when you're old as me time is lost he went in and made a whole bunch of edits like a whole bunch of edits and made a pretty good looking page still i would question some of his citations as reputable sources but a pretty good start and it was whole scale rejected by the curator of the page uh for various reasons that weren't well supported in the talk page uh very frustrating i'm not sure why no but why noah didn't just blow up but uh I keep on reading it thinking, okay, I'm going to try and make make some headway here too. I'm going to come in and help him and figure out how to make this incrementally and it ended up being one of those problems I realized I just could not do by myself because again, it would just be my opinion versus Noah's opinion and it needed to have a, some sort of coordinated effort among a diverse set of opinions. So, uh,
0: now, why, why did the curator reject it, primarily? Uh, uh,
1: too many changes at once was the big one. Okay. So we definitely have to go through and make smaller changes. Uh, I think it's going to require, at some point, before we get too far, uh, I'll want to involve him in these discussions. but And backtracking from that a little bit, what I did in on Friday, last Friday, I had a few minutes I wanted to read through the page again and see what I could do, and I just gave up and I was so in such a mood about it that I created a, a, a Slack team to get people together to fix the software testing Wikipedia page. And Noah's involved and uh, a bunch of other people and inviting more and more as we go along. It's uh, You can DM me on Twitter, Alan Page, and I'll, I'll send you an invitation. I think I'm all caught up there. Or contact me in any one of the other ways, which a good tester should be able to figure out how to find me. And, I mean, my, my email address is are all over the internet. If you can't find my address, maybe you should find a career that requires less investigation. <laughs> Just saying. I want to use i'm not a big fan of needing to develop consensus but this is one of those situations where building some consensus and some allies on how to go about making the software testing article not only represent software testing better but being an article that doesn't look amateurish and stupid compared to the bulk of wikipedia articles which are um, there there are some trash out there, of course, but most of the least major ones are very competently done, well-cited, based on reputable sources. Is your goal
0: to finally define what is software testing?
1: No. Again, Wikipedia is a uh, an encyclopedia, not a dictionary. Yeah. So, no, it's not the goal. The goal is to if someone were to want to read about software testing and didn't know much about it, uh, for them to get a clear idea of, and we can include some history as well, but what software testing is in the 21st century.
0: Okay. Uh, Now the curator, how is that defined? Is that an employee of Wikipedia?
1: No, I'm not actually sure where he came from. I don't know how that works. I have to learn how that works and get him. And I'll get him involved. I'll invite him to the uh, the Slack team. I originally was going to try and have all this conversation in the talk channel, but it, for each, each Wikipedia page has a talk page. But it the type of discussions we need to just aren't conducive for that. So uh, it's going to be. Um, it's not going to be quick. It's going to take a while. But I'm hoping with if we can get there's like 30 people um, already on this on this in the Slack group. And uh, I hope I can just, some are just there to lurk, which is fine, and we'll make pockets of progress in little pieces, but uh, I hope we can sort of get a strategy together and how we want to do it and then start executing on those changes. Uh, I really want to use Noah's page as a model, but also I'm, as I mentioned a few times in that team already, I'm open for other opinions and and strategies and and just because i started the channel i don't get extra votes i just want to be the one to make sure it moves forward
0: you should um recommendation for you uh post this as a query on the general channel in our slack channel Uh, because one of the things that i think is potentially interesting is that there's a lot of other Podcast owners connected to our slack channel
1: yeah and uh, Percy's already in, but I'll, I'll definitely mention yeah. it there and I'll and I'll probably retweet about it I, I did a blog post on Friday and i'll I'll remind people and the word's getting out uh, I didn't see your blog post well, it's there okay, cool so anyway, that's going on. I don't know what else um, summer summer's been good in Seattle so far.
0: Yeah, it doesn't feel like I've spent much time in Seattle <laughs> on the weekends <laughs> with, with the kiddo going off to college um, and uh, baseball season, although baseball season ended last weekend. This, is, this, this past weekend is the first weekend in a long time that I didn't have something both days scheduled. I didn't know what to do with myself. I cleaned the house. I cooked.
1: Well, I cooked too. Yeah. Just FYI, random information before we get on with the show. I invited my entire team to come visit me in Seattle this, this fall.
0: Everywhere. every Everyone everywhere. Everyone <laughs> everywhere.
1: Nice. So if they all show up, uh should be 37 people, 36 people. Depends on hiring. You... you st- Going to work on an all hands deck? I think we'll do a lot of sort of open space type stuff. I'll schedule a few uh, talks, uh, shorter talks. I don't believe in, I don't really like hour long talks. Lots of sharing. We'll do a little bit of cross team projects, um, a little bit of a hack, you know, hack day, half hack day. Uh, but lots of open space type stuff so people can uh, sort of decide the topics on the fly. Um, I like that format, seems to work pretty well. And it should be fun. So, shall we start the show? Sure. No, 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 no. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, before we start, I'd like to mention um, our uh, good friends at Cobiton are back this episode to sponsor this episode. Thank you, Cobiton. Love your product. And for the testers listening out there, if you're looking for a more affordable way to test a mobile app on a real device... Welcome to Cobiton, the complete mobile device cloud platform that gives you access to test on the latest iOS and Android devices. These are real devices also, not simulated. I'm annotating as I go. Uh, But iOS and Android devices when you need them. Uh, From manual to automated testing, Cobiton is a simpler, cost-effective way to test your mobile app the way you want with no commitment. For only $0.10 a minute, you can get 100 minutes of testing time. That's just 10 bucks for 100 minutes. And the best part is that your minutes never expire. Buy the minutes you need, use them whenever you want, add more when you're ready. It's that easy. That's kind of cool. Notice that the pricing change, the price strategy change from the last time we talked with Cobiton. So I'm pretty excited that they're It's
0: much more aligned with uh, a cloud story.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, From automatically generated activity logs to one source for your testing history, Cobotan gives you the tools you need to find and fix issues faster, empowering developers and businesses to get their products to market sooner, Test your mobile web and hybrid apps on all the latest devices and configurations from anywhere, anytime. You can sign up for a no-commitment-free trial at Kobiton, that's K-O-B-I-T-O-N, kobiton.com, whack A-B testing, and you can start testing in minutes. Now, beyond the reading of the line there, uh, honestly, if you're if you're making a mobile app, uh, you have to use something like Kobiton. Agreed. There's just no way. I
0: was just briefly. You said if you're making a mobile app, and I'm like, you know, at this point in time, why
1: aren't you making a mobile app?
0: (laughs) If you're making an app, why is it not a mobile app?
1: Uh, SQL Server is there a mobile version? It's not an app. Okay. What? Okay. All right. It's an application. It's a server application.
0: Are we going to spend the rest of the episode having semantic
1: wars? Oh, God. (laughs) Checking, testing, go. Yeah. Don't 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 turn it off. Not happening. Not <laughs> happening. I like that model to kind of pay as you go for a minute, try stuff out. One thing they don't mention in this, and I hope this is still the case, so I'm not screwing anybody up, but one thing I liked about Cobaton is the ability to add your own devices to their cloud. Say I'm in my office in uh, Copenhagen and I plug in a bunch of Android devices. Uh, you can access and run tests on those from your office in Bellevue. Do you still pay ten cents a minute? Uh, for the cloud service, I believe. Actually, I don't know that. I should. I shouldn't have gone down that rabbit hole because I don't know. No. But I remember that feature from last time uh, we talked about them. I really like that idea. The other thing about Kobotan
0: is it's free when Work pays for it. It
1: is. It is. <laughs> it's a. I think it's a no-brainer investment.
0: I do too. I would. I, if I were in this space, I. Uh, I would. Don't think I would have much um struggle articulate the articulating the value no, of this. not
1: at all. All right, cool. Thank you, Cobiton. And I'll put the information up on the website when we publish this podcast. Uh we actually do have a few topics to get to twenty minutes later. Uh <laughs> uh I posted on our Slack team. Yep. When I was in San Francisco, I've been uh, making day trips to San Francisco every once in a while for interviews, mostly. My ads team is completely full now. Nice. Still got a few openings in analytics for, if you know anybody in San Francisco, I'm looking for sort of a tech lead type person uh, to be, uh, well, to be a technical leader for the analytics and data platform team. They had to be based in San Francisco. Have to be based in San Francisco. That is a challenge for some. One, I'm looking for someone not necessarily a coder or a full time coder, an NSDET type person for that team to do. Uh, I didn't mean this to be a recruiting post. I so just, <laughs> I have two more openings in San Francisco. I'm, I'm excited to get get a full a full team down there. Other one is someone who can look at an analytics and data platform solution, everything from collection to dashboard, and sort of look at the end to end and figure out. Like imagine. What would I'm thinking in my head? It's like super STE, but you have to be a little bit more technical than, than you'd think you'd think when you say STE. But I don't need someone necessarily to write a bunch of code for those things, but someone to just coordinate what's going on with that whole system and making sure that the right stuff's being done. No, I don't. Well, I want someone to look as an at the STE role uh, because they're not probably won't be writing code all the time as most of our Tets do. What I want someone to do is get the whole big picture of end-to-end from collection to, to developer dashboard and make sure that we're doing the right things all the way through that. So the, the industry title for what you're looking oh, for cool. is called a data engineer. That's what I want. Yeah. I want a data engineer. Damn industry and their titles. <laughs> titles uh, don't matter. Anyway, yeah. what was I talking about? Oh, I was down there for a trip. And I was thinking, I was reflecting on a meeting I had a few days before, and I was trying to teach a team how to do logging effectively because they were what they they were playing what I call Jeopardy, where they looked at what they were logging already, the answers, and trying to figure out what questions they could answer. And there was a product manager in the room trying to figure out trying to answer some specific questions, and a dev manager trying to. Uh, figure out how, how we could answer them without needing to add any more logging. <laughs> and we use or are using... I do that all of the time.
0: <laughs> and honestly, I find it fun.
1: I, I found the a little fun, too, because I feel like, oh, my God, I can provide value. I can provide value. I can provide <laughs> value.
0: <laughs> I forget the, the author. Maybe you remember... Um, the The name of the book is "How to Measure Anything."
1: Hubbard, Hubbard, Douglas Hubbard, he's my hero, one of my heroes.
0: Yeah, and there's a couple principles that he puts in uh, that I just find uh, inspiring. Is I guess the right word? I, I I think of it all the time, and and it's one of them is you have already more data than you need. Yep. Uh, Another one that I'm going to completely murder, which is um, if you – again, I don't even remember how he phrased it, which is better than what I'm about to say. (laughs) If you look at the same data – or the same data carries more information than you are realizing. Sure. Uh, There is a a project – that, that I am working on, I'll have to speak to it carefully. I'm about to roll out in uh, Azure, uh, I'll call it a, a BFD. Um, I'm about to roll out a game changer. And I implemented this. There's one data feed that I have that we started with. And this data feed gets transformed into a different feed. It's not enriched with any other feed, it's just first data feed, we transform it into a different feed. Then we transformed that into a different feed and that third one into a different feed. And I sit back and I go, um, I'll go now, Hubbard was right previously, I've got The guy who wrote that book was right, that if you just look at the same data in a different way
1: and continuously do
0: it, you end up building new knowledge into
1: the data. I think you need a level of data maturity to be able to even be in a position where you can discover that, that is beyond data-aware. For sure. And we're sort of in that data-aware point, trying to get and we are now with our common data platform getting to a place where we can have queryable queryable results just at a point where we can start stretching out of data awareness so i'm really excited about that so let me play a little game with you okay so you, your team builds dashboards and things right nope. among many other things wrong game so how do you how do you measure active users on your on your product like what are some, which product? Um, I'm just trying to think of like
0: Azure or my dashboard because your, your,
1: your dashboard. So I, okay. I, I want to just it's just a this is the uh our uh a sample of the thought experiment I went through in this meeting that I that I posted about. So what are some what are some factors? What are some things you need to measure? To know how many active users are on your site. You can speak abstractly if you want, not even about your site. How do you measure active so users? So, my dashboard. So, I, I think I told you
0: before that anytime I build a presentation stack, I instrument it. Mm-hmm. So, not,
1: not answering my question yet.
0: So, uh, an active user uh, will be a combination of um, frequency and repeatability. These are the, the, the two main. Criteria. Okay. So, So how often do they, when they when they use the site, frequency is when they use the site. How often do they use it, or how long is it duration? No. Think of it. So, duration could be it. Like session analysis is is often done if you want to think about it in a generic fashion. Since my most of the sites I'm building aren't intended to be session based. Okay. Fine. It'll be much more of a request-response. So how many requests... uh, Okay. So when they look at it, how many requests is it serving? Okay. And then repeatability is... Do they come back on different days? How often do they come back? Okay, That's just
1: two things. Very easy. And so my point at this point was maybe there's some more factors too for different applications. Yep. The brief little light bulb I had was when trying to figure out what to instrument uh, and... Also, knowing that we're just finally getting our our uh, query based solution in place, so we could query the backends very easy, and we have that at Microsoft with Azure Analytics, Mm -hmm. known internally as Kusto, where you write a little anyone can write a little SQL-ish query and get information. So, I my my little light bulb was, oh, you could just think of write the query that would get you the data you want before you even instrument anything. So, select you know from all users where. Uh, frequency is you know x and and uh, repeatability is X, and that would give you your number of quote active users. And if those things aren't instrumented, you go add the instrumentation until that query works. Yeah, so and again, it's not the it's not the solution for how to do instrumentation, but I brought it up because there are anyone that's ever gone down this path of beginning to add analytics to their code, they tend to fall into the there's, – there's a, there's a common anti-pattern they fall into, which is, oh, we're doing instrumentation. I'm thinking of my time in Windows. Let's instrument everything. <laughs> and, Brent, what happens when you, get, when you instrument everything?
0: <coughs> Number one, you blow your storage stacks. Number two, no one uses
1: it. it and I wanted you to use the term data puke. Oh no, <laughs> you
0: you don't get data puke in this case because no one uses it. Okay, <laughs> because there's too much data that no one can ever, ever handle it. When when um, so uh, Xbox, I was uh, as best as I can tell the first team to do any sort of data analysis on the Xbox dashboard. Um. So this was just before you joined Xbox team, and um, it long, was long,
1: long time ago.
0: It was so important that we allocated a full half of a person to work on this. <laughs> <laughs> wow, critical. Yeah, and um, but the PMs, the, the no. PMs had gone through you know typical. I produce a functional spec. And uh, uh, I this is prior to my history, but they had learned that adding instrumentation was a required part of the functional spec. And so PMs dutifully would add the instrumentation, devs dutifully would implement the instrumentation, and then no one would use any of it. Yep. So when my guy joined um, or started working on this, like. There was just data, data everywhere. Data, no data had, everywhere. Data no near one had and far. Ever tested it. He, <laughs> he, he spent a good two months just getting the first thing working.
1: Just thinking about that makes my blood pressure go back up. Yeah, I. So here is the challenge, though, uh, and there are different schools of thought on this. There is use my method to just instrument what you need to answer your questions and nothing else. And then there's everything. The argument against everything you've already given, you can't figure out what to do. The argument against uh, approach like mine is that answers your questions, but you lose, and you can go back to Hubbard's quote on this, you may lose some avenues for some exploration on things you didn't know you may need to measure. Uh, Yeah, the order. And and I'm kind of in that camp where, like, measure the things that answer your questions, plus a select few other things, as long as you can do it in moderation. Uh, But you've done this more than I have. What's your strategy? What's a. How do you choose what to instrument?
0: So, first and foremost, let me go back because it kind of seems to me that. we're, we're trying to connect the dots here, like you connected in the Slack channel. Hey, logging and TDD, these things could probably get together and come up with something useful. Query-driven
1: instrumentation, QDI.
0: The other thing, though, that, it reali- that I realized that there's a p- possible connection, what to do with it, I haven't closed on yet. But aren't these two models similar to sort of a generalist and a specialist
1: I hadn't thought about that. Please elaborate.
0: Well, so the the instrument, everything seems like you're just dumping a bunch of generalized data, but you haven't added enough um, something precision, accuracy, information, usefulness, right? Um, so you don't you don't know what goal you're going after. Therefore, um. It's going to be a roll of a dice as to whether or not that thing goes after a goal. The specialist side of it, though, right, if you start with the questions up front, then it can only answer those questions. And then it's just a matter of time, uh, unless you spend a lot of time up front Uh, pre-testing your questions like there's a good chance that you're going to get burned by the orders of ignorance
1: that's exactly what I'm saying I think there how do you get past how do you find what is the right happy medium
0: and then the other the other actual problem on the on the question approach is um, what happens when answering the question times out because a lot of the times you only need the answer once Right there's there's sort of repeatable what we call operationalized um, analytics. Plus there's sort of a ad hoc or exploratory analytics uh, that you don't need to to repeat. So on the logging thing, I'll just share from my experience. Is really you want to go after what are the use cases first and foremost. Uh, I have. I encourage dev to say, okay, if a customer comes in, right, dev, you need to log those things that are diagnostic in nature. Um, Log those things so that we can figure out what the problem is. I have found that in my experience, I can take those diagnostic logs that is useful for dev to diagnose. And then I can add information on top of it to, to make that data stream serve my purposes. Um, now, on the hypothesis, or not the hypothesis, the, the, the other model, I have questions that I want to answer. I actually formed up a, an approach that I think uh, potentially aligns with
1: the CIRA model. Um, Sarah is collect, inform, recommend, act.
0: Yeah. So we wanna if we if we wanna create a system where we're collecting, informing, recommending, acting. How do we build that? So the model that I've written up, um, I call it hypothesis testing in a nutshell. It really isn't hypothesis testing. Um, But it starts off with uh, a hypothesis. So if you go look at any sort of stats 101, you'll see that it's not hypothesis testing. There you need sort of control experiment, A, B. um. But what I tell people to do is, in a nutshell, number one, come up with a statement, not a question. A statement that you want to prove or disprove. So um, you talked about users, um uh you could say this feature change will increase virality by at least
1: 15%. Yes. And actually I've taken that exact approach when doing ex- experimentation or AB testing like or I've asked like for every feature new feature we're adding that you add instrumentation to measure the business or customer value of that.
0: Yes. So what I what but what it is important that you start off
1: with a, a, a belief statement this is what we believe to be true. why is that more important than asking the question how does that work better than asking the question that um, how much uh, how much will this improve uh, because morality? you can
0: answer the question
1: and um, so if I make a statement it'll increase by 15 percent and it only does 12 percent. Um, is my, my statement's false? But maybe the maybe the experiment was successful. Maybe.
0: Uh, likewise, if you said, uh, "I believe it's going to increase it by fifteen uh, percent," but your question is, uh, "Does it increase it?" And it, it increases two percent. You're really what the reason why I say start off with a set um, statement explicitly. Is so that you don't get stuck into an endless cyclical loop. Because it could come back and you can go, all right, 2%. Now, when you get that 2%, someone's gonna look at that and say, and judge, is that good enough or not? And whether subconsciously or consciously, that's gonna wind back to their statement of belief. I get you. So I'm saying, write it up first. All right. Okay. Go on. Now, after you have the statement, then what you wanna do is you want to enumerate if that statement were true, what actions would I take? And if that statement were false, what actions would I take? So what I'm what I'm helping people to do is a model through thinking through their their data. So you have this statement of belief. Now you enumerate what actions would I take, whether or not this
1: the statement proves true or false. So that's I like that, but I think uh, I think it puts a, a good, it puts a good amount of thinking on the the product manager, the project manager, trying to come up with those things. Because uh, if I make a statement, this will increase by fifteen percent, mm-hmm. and I have to say, well, what happens if it's true or false? Uh, and do we pull the feature back? What I mean, to have to make a commitment there right. is a difficult thing to do, but it's. May be good to think about that before it becomes a reactionary decision. And this is why I said this is aligns with
0: Syria, right? The very last thing in Syria is act. Um, so here, it's forcing you to think through what are the actions that you would take. What, what are you driving towards? Um, far too often with the data space, what we see is a bunch of people dumping a bunch of data, and then exploring a bunch of stuff and not. Uh, you know, sort of wandering aimlessly in the data desert.
1: All right, so I, I like that. I, I have to <laughs> make a mental note: wandering aimlessly in the data desert.
0: Yes. Um, now, recommend. So, we have a statement. We have an enumeration of actions, and um, so, for example, my prior statement. Um, If we add this feature, it'll increase virality by 15%. Obviously, one action we could take is no op. Uh, If it proves true, no op. Another action, if it proves true, could be um, to go more in on this feature. Right? Uh, I mean, we're making up a feature here. um, It's similarly on on if it proves false, right? We could cut the feature, we could do nothing, we could um, investigate variants of the feature that would change. Now the point of the question, the next phase, is now we need to enumerate the minimum number of questions necessary to confidently select the correct action.
1: Ah, oh, okay,
0: and that's sort of the recommendation phase because what you're what you're doing now is you're saying now from a stats point of view, like, um, hey, there's a seventy-five percent chance that this is the correct action. There is a thirty-four percent chance that this is the correct action. The the percentages do not need to add up to a hundred. Um, in This case.
1: That statement reminded me of... Now, if you haven't read How to Measure Anything, the Hubbard book, I found it fascinating. I've actually read it twice now, and there's still parts I don't understand, because he knows more about math than I do. But the idea... One other idea in there is the idea of building up a confidence level. Yeah. Versus being 100% sure of anything for estimates. It's like, Brent, what year was Mount Rushmore carved? Yeah, you don't know. Nineteen thirty-seven. So, yeah, but <laughs> oh, I know give, the game give, you're talking give, about. Give me an age. Give me a range where you are one hundred percent confident where it was where it was carved. You can say between and 1900, 1980, hundred nineteen eighty. I'm a hundred percent. Eighteen fifty to nineteen fifty. Sure, and then you can and ninety percent. You can narrow that down. And they're actually online. There are versions of the confidence game where you try and come up with. um, where you get better at estimating within a range of things. Yes. Like, um, and all kinds of, like things you wouldn't know without looking up, but you can come up with a range where where, where are you 100% confident in where this could happen? And you can train yourself to, like, I don't know for sure, but I'm 100% between X and X.
0: I actually used that technique. I'm glad that you brought that up because I used that technique for, for a couple of years in my last team, but um, I wasn't too happy about my last team, so I repressed. <laughs> it, it appears I repressed more than I really wanted to from that. Um, now, let me just finish off. This. No, no, sure, go. Let me finish. So now we enumerate the questions that will allow us to confidently select the action, and then the last bit, I think, very much aligns with what you're saying is, okay, what data do we have? What additional data do we need Mm -hmm. to be able to answer these questions? It does occur to me that that kind of uh, implements CIRA in some fashion. Uh, One of the things that I like to do when it comes to almost all tooling or all models is you design it from the top down and you build it from the bottom up. So if you design... The if what I'm calling the hypothesis model is sort of the d- data design, then your implementation would follow the Sierra model, which is building it from the bottom up. Yeah, cool. Very happy with it.
1: <laughs> cool. I'm going to keep that in mind. Uh, Might be
0: worthwhile for me to formalize that more.
1: Yeah. So I'm excited that on my teams that we're getting to this stage where we can start implementing something like this and start using data in a more mature 21st century, whatever you want to call it, a manner, like, like I think where we need to go. In a team, I'm going to ask for free advice from, from Brent here. Uh, in a team like mine where we are coming out of data aware into a higher level of data maturity, what are some other key bits of advice you would give a team in that stage?
0: I think now is a very good time
1: to, so
0: first and foremost, you cannot overhit actionability. You, you cannot make that a rallying cry too much. And, and along those lines, right, really start to introduce them to actionable versus vanity metrics. It, so the first thing is they're gonna start pulling these numbers in, and the next thing you're gonna see is a bunch of new dashboards with with data puke and vanity metrics yep and guaranteed pat I, I them yeah. on the back for <laughs> for for bringing visibility where it didn't exist before, but hit them hard and hit them early.
1: On actionability. Yeah. I already have smoke alarms inherently in place for, uh, for data puke and vanity metrics. The other common
0: thing that I see
1: is on the
0: topic of accuracy. How important is it to be accurate? And I will tell you at this
1: phase, not at all. Not at all? Not at all. Not at all. All. You want to elaborate with an example?
0: Yeah. It's actually one of my favorite ways
1: to torture data scientists. Um,
0: (laughs) Because they are they are
1: maybe we can do a whole episode on on Brent's (laughs) entire list of ways to torture data scientists.
0: So data scientists get trained and it's an important skill set, but they're they are trained to work through accuracy of their models. Now and a life site model or in any AI model worth its salt, accuracy is important. But when you're first starting this stuff, you're not using it for that. You're using it f- to provide recommendations uh, as well as, as uh, what I call Pareto ordering of the actions. So you can think of um, the action list as, as also a, uh, another way of providing it is not selecting which action to take, but ordering sometimes the actions that you could take you could take multiple of them so which one's going to have the highest impact now data scientists they want accuracy and um, but I will tell you getting to three nines of accuracy or no getting to four nines from three nines is an order of magnitude
1: of course yeah amount I, of work
0: yeah it's uh, as you tighten and tighten and tighten and tighten and tighten, it's each each step is another order of magnitude worth of work.
1: No, and that makes sense if you're getting into being data driven and data centric, uh, that the information you get is going to guide you in the right direction, maybe not exactly where you need to go. And then as you hone in and get more mature, it's going to take a while before you actually get. The sort of pinpoint navigation you need. So, in the, in the
0: initial phases, right? In actionable metric, um, there's really two high-level classes, and that's either a rate or a ratio. Okay. Yeah. And these are directional. It, it says go in this direction, go in that direction, and the accuracy of the numerators and the denominators generally. Don't matter at the beginning phases. No,
1: uh, that makes complete sense.
0: And the one of the things again that that I use to torture the data scientists this is I'll ask awesome. them,
1: "You can pretend
0: to be the data scientists in this little skit." <laughs> hey, Alan. Hey, Brent. I hear you really want to make this more accurate. I do. I'm working hard on it. Great. It's, it's my it's my life. Let me ask you. So we already have a list uh, that orders the actions we're going to take. Yeah. So let me ask you this. If we spend the next three months on improving the accuracy here, is that going to change the order?
1: No, but I'll justify my job.
0: Uh, yeah, you actually won't because you'll have wasted three months when you could have been doing something useful. Oh, yeah. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's actually, if it doesn't change the the order. Now, there will be, so I tell them uh, in very open, uh, as an open discussion, because I, if, I do expect them to say yeah I think it would if it would. But generally when you when when you look at the ordering it's almost always a head tail curve which means the number one action even with another 2 years of accuracy the number one action would still be the number one action. Yeah. Right so at that point in time I'm like look it's time to move on to something else. We'll come back to this when Accuracy would change the order.
1: Sure, sure. And I can see that as that is just an increased level of maturity. Honestly, if we can get to where we're getting uh, some direction from data, Mm -hmm. I'm pretty happy. Then over time, that can become more precise. But uh, ballpark, I'm happy.
0: I would recommend that you try out the the model I'm, I'm talking about and get Get of your course I manage, would management thinking through what actions we would take.
1: Yeah, right? for sure.
0: I can't emphasize this enough. You cannot beat the drum of actionability too much. You just simply cannot. It it trumps everything.
1: Got it? Yep. Good advice. Well, thank you. Thank you for all that. Shall we call it a day? Yes. Anything else? Okay, everyone, I'm Alan, I think. And I am Brent. We'll see you next time. Thank you.